Welcome to this episode of Consider It Blacklit. I am Kim Singleton, your host. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, Consider It Blacklit highlights films, television programs, and stage plays featuring African Americans up front and behind the scenes. We also discuss social issues as it relates to some of these programs and how they may or may not impact our communities. So thank you for tuning in and we hope you continue to tune in each week. Today it is my pleasure to highlight the documentary, The Sound She Saw. It is a documentary that highlights black women photographers. I am so excited to have the writer, producer, and director of this documentary. She is an Emmy Award winning producer, a multiple Emmy Award winning producer, Crystal Whaley. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you for having me, Kim. I'm so honored to be here. I am so, so, so excited to have you. So um, let's talk about, who, let's tell our audience about who you are before we get into the documentary. I am a filmmaker, visionary, culture creator, uh, storyteller. Um, I am from Los Angeles, California. I am an honorary New Yorker. I've been here for a long time. I've been in production for over 20, almost 23 years. Um, and I'm a lover of black women and girls. Most of my stories center around them. I'm happy to be here to, to talk about this specific um, uh, project that is a labor of love and something that I think I've always wanted to do. My first love was the still image. So I'm also a photographer. I'm a published photographer, and so this was just a marriage of everything that I do and everything that I'm passionate about. Oh, awesome. Well, it's a wonderful documentary. So the name of the documentary is The Sound She Saw. Tell us what the significance is in the name and how did you come up with it? So the name is a deep, deep homage, deep, deep bow to a photographer um, named Roy DiCararva, who had a book that he published in the early 50s called The Sound I Saw. And the significance is that he was a master of light. He photographed black folks in where they live, how we are, uh, nothing was staged. Um, and it was just really beautiful imagery of everyday black folks and really beautiful lighting. And so I want to say probably everyone who claims that they are a photographer has, has seen this book, knows a little bit about him, and kind of you know bows down to you know what he what he gave us, which was, you know, black folks, everyday black people in black and white. And so that's why I wanted to call this film um, The Sound She Saw, because it's just a homage to him, as well as making sure that um, in the canon of photography that black women are recognized and we've always been here. So your film starts out by asking the question, what happens when a black woman photographer has the agency and the control to reverse the gaze and see the world through her unique lens? Did anybody give you an answer that surprised you? Not really surprising. Um, everyone who answered the call and actually answered the questions, the universal I mean, the universal answer was having agency and having control of the narrative and how it is always a struggle to control the narrative. Everyone has controlled the narrative. There's you know, all types of imagery um, throughout history that don't depict who we really are. You know, there's caricatures, there's lies, there's 
um, you know, we, we are photographed in the worst possible light. And for black women in particular, you know, it's, um, it's very important for us to always move through with agency and make sure that we see and we tell our stories through our lens and no one else's. So the first interview that you have in your documentary was with Jean Matusami, Matusami Ash. Jeannie Matusumi Ash. Jeannie Matusumi yes. Ash. Thank you. Thank you. The tongue twister. <laughs> I know, right? And she is the uh, widow um, of the late Arthur Ash. How did she become involved with the project? She um, published this masterpiece called The Viewfinders in 1986, and it was the first and only book that was published about black women photographers from the very inception of the camera. And there was no way I could ever do anything without including her. Plus, she was also featured in a book that I produced and deputy edited called Mfan Women Photographers of the African Diaspora. But she's kind of like the marker, um, and she, she chronicles in her book, View, Viewfinders, all the way back to like the late 1800s. So her work is very, very important. So I had to include her. She graciously came and stayed for two and a half hours. Most of the people that I interviewed, I expected them to be there for, you know, to give me maybe 45 minutes. She gave me everything and more. So you had a lot of amazing women in there. Talk about some of the other photographers that you included and how they became involved with the project. Uh, one of the photographers is Dana Scruggs. Um, she, I love the way that she lights the black body, in particular the black male body. She does a lot of uh, commercial work. Um, she's done um, work and covers for Sports Illustrated. She's worked with Rolling Stone, but the way that she sees our, the texture of our skin, the richness of our tone, and two, she particularly um, loves to photograph black men. And so I wanted to have someone that was uh, a newer photographer, someone that was kind of in the advertising space. So that's Dana Scruggs. Another photographer, amazing artist, is um, Fabiola Jean-Louis. And the way that she captures us is, is almost like a painting. So she is a multidisciplined artist, but she also is photography. She's a photographer, so that's within her realm of artistry. But she creates these beautiful costumes out of paper. Wow. And, and then she makes everything. So it's the dresses and the shoes. But she's crafting this through paper. She's reimagining what black people and where black people are and how they, you know, kind of would have been if, um, in the early 19th centuries. And so I love the way um, her subjects, she's, first of all, there's a difference when you can, you can kind of see there's a difference when a photographer is a black person shooting a black person or a, or a person who's other shooting us. And the way that she shoots, it's just, it's, it's movement, it's reverence, and I really wanted to have her in the project. So that's Fabiola. Adrian Wahid, um, who I also had the privilege of deputy editing and producing her book, uh, Black Joy and Resistance, is an amazing photographer. She is able to get really close and personal, like in real time, um, very intimate with her subjects. She's an amazing street photographer. She is able to get images or, or glimpses of, of things that no one else would, and she kind of blends in. So I wanted her 
absolutely in this piece. I would not have done it without her. I mean, mm. I really love her work and I love her. Another photographer I featured was um, Lori Lyons. Mm -hmm. And Lori Lyons is a, a really amazing, strong photographer. She does really great portraiture, but she also had this series called the Flag Series. And this was right after, oh shoot, it was right before September 11th. Yeah, I remember that because I think she went around the country and asked people she did. When they saw the flag, what did they think? Yeah. So, and this is anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and she went all these places by herself where she didn't know any of these people and had them hold the flag and talk about it. And, you know, that was just a, a bold, really bold project for a young black woman to go all over the, all over the country, you know, in the time in which she did and ask these questions. She and I have known each other for a long time. She also, her work was... Her work was also featured in um, Fund, so a lot of these photographers I had relationships with, but I really wanted to make sure that everyone had their own lanes. I wanted to feature her because she was actually saying something about the state of the country at that time, mm. right before September 11th, and interestingly enough, and also typically enough, the same issues are still here with us. Same and thing. so, you know, yes. it's, it's like, Decades what? later. Decades later. Same thing. Oh, Renee Cox. Mm -hmm. is also one of my favorite photographers and Renee is just I just love her work because it's bold it's free she is not uh, com comparing herself to anybody mm -hmm. um, and she has so much freedom in her work and her work is you know it ranges from her um, being the subject of her own story and often she is and so um, I've always followed her she um, came out of a, a, a kind of era of these women photographers that were emerging in the 1980s. So she comes along with a Carrie Mae Weems, with the Lorna Simpson. Um, but Renee's work is just in your face. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And she is completely fearless. And she's fabulous in this movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, she, I, I can make a whole episode, a whole, uh, you know, standalone documentary about Renee Cox's work. Mm -hmm. but. She's well, all, everybody in there is quite fabulous. I was so impressed because some of them I hadn't heard of before mm -hmm. because I'm not really in that into photography. I love photography, but I don't know all the players behind it. So yeah. I found this documentary very informative. And I remember seeing some of the work going, oh, okay, this is the person who did this. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, I wanted to make sure that you saw different types you know that you know, uh, you know everybody is different every artist is different every photographer is, in, is different so you're not going to see portraiture all the time you might see something that's completely a fine art like a Fabiola's work um, or you'll see someone that um, you know is very interested with one type of body you like, know I, I just wanted to make sure that there was a body of work that people understand that it's out there and also um, there's so many more there's so many more stories that I would love to tell, but what I really was thankful about these women, and then there's another woman I want to talk about, um, is that they trusted me enough to let me highlight just a little bit of their story. This is a tiny bit. These women have amazing archives of, of their work and, and, um, and are continuously you know, doing amazing and great things. And they mention each other. Mm. So that's the other thing. So they're fans of each other as well. So they all recognize the artistry. They all recognize the agency. And when I talk about agency, I'm talking about um, having, having the, I don't know, uh, not luxury, 
because mm -hmm. it's really not the luxury, but really having a firm point of view, um, having the courage to do what you want to do, and also um, being very clear about your story and, you know, against all the odds, against all of the naysayers, against all of the haters, making sure that you have domain of your particular story. Mm -hmm. So having control of that narrative. And even for me, stepping out of, you know, producing and executive producing and finally getting, finally kind Getting of your directing chops yes, on. Yes, <laughs> pulling the trigger finally. You know, that was me, um, you know, having agency around mm -hmm. myself and showcasing them having their own agency. That was just beautiful and a, and a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, you said you wanted to mention another person in yeah. the book, and then I want to talk to you about the whole process of directing. Okay, but. okay. Mario, Mario Bobo is the editor-in-chief of Ebony, and she's also the SPP of programming at Ebony. Mm -hmm. And so she is our quote-unquote gatekeeper. There's not many of us. Mm. And so when I speak of gatekeeping, she is the one that has the agency and the authority to hire, to hire folks that look like us, to light us, to make sure that they understand our skin, to do hair, for um, wardrobe styling, for all the crew that's on these sets, for their cover shoots and for their fashion shoots, and to pick the photographers. Mm. And she has been in the business for about 20 years. She's worked at Essence and in Ebony and other capacities at other publications, but she has been um, at the height at these black publications, and she is the one that everything has to come through. So she has a commitment of making sure that there's black talent around us to make sure that we're represented well mm -hmm. and that there's representation everywhere. So for her, it's very important for her to hire mm -hmm. black creatives, especially black women photographers. So I had to have her in the in the documentary because where do we see that? Yeah, and it was good to hear from that perspective yeah. too. Like, you know, what she considers when she hires someone and what people who are not of color may be, you know, not considering when we come course, to the table, yeah. Course, yeah. So that was very important. Yeah. But let's talk about you and directing. Talk about what was the thing that clicked with you when you said, I'm gonna direct my own documentary right now? Well, I, uh, I had a documentary that I half did a hundred <laughs> years ago, and I was like, okay, so I gotta completely give birth to this one. <laughs> and for me, it was, um, at the time, pandemic, um, you know, everyone kind of figuring out what they want to do or, or how they creatively are feeding themselves. And um, during pandemic, I was pretty busy with producing, but I also wanted to take advantage of that time to do something that was going to feed my artist. And like I said, I had a documentary that I'd never finished years ago, and I was in the throes of kind of, um, it was maybe a year after we did um, Black Joy and Resistance with um, Adrian Wahid, and um, you know, I have a village around me that have been like in my ear forever, when are you gonna do your thing? <laughs> when are you gonna do your thing? Are you gonna do it today? What, what are you doing? And so for me, I was like, I'm not gonna let somebody else do this documentary about black women photographers. Absolutely not. So let me get ahead of every, everybody, and also let me get ahead of myself. So um, there's a, a friend of mine that I collaborate with, she's also a director, producer. Her name is Caroline Robinson. We went to school together and we've collaborated with a couple of things. And um, she was like, okay, girl, so we're doing this? Um, when? I need a date. 
and I needed someone to say I needed a date. And mm. so once I said, okay, we're going to shoot this date, I'm going to start the campaign, my Seton Spark campaign, this date, then that's what we'll do. And then I reached out to everybody who was in the um, documentary, and they were like, absolutely. What mm. day is this? <laughs> I mean, no hesitation, which I was completely just... I mean, overwhelmed by, um, with, with gratitude, but I was like, okay, so if they're ready to go, I absolutely have to be ready to go. And so um, with directing, I also had to write the script, like it's a whole process. So documentaries are, yes, you have pointed questions to get kind of the story that you need so that you can kind of weave what you need so that, you know, you tell the full and complete story. But um, you also have to give it, get it into an outline and a framework. So I had to do that. And I've been around that on the other end, but this was the, my first time kind of doing that. Mm -hmm. And once I pushed go with my crowdsourcing, crowdfunding campaign with Seed and Spark, and people were, you know, they were giving me some money. I was like, oh, okay, this is happening. Honey, because we were ready. Cause, <laughs> yes, because I had been talking about this forever in the day, and it was time. So I'm grateful. It was divine time. Um, and because we had slowed down a bit, you know, we were able to do it. Also, you know, my set was COVID compliant um, because people were still shooting. And I shot this uh, summer of 2021. So we were in a good space. You know, people had already been back to um, work in terms of production, so people knew how to do the thing, how to mm -hmm. make the, these things happen in the middle of COVID, and everybody was comfortable. So mm. that's what happened. Oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well done, well done. Thank you. I did want to ask you about one of the photographers, because at the very beginning, um, people talk about what their first camera was, and I noticed that Fabiella Jean-Louis her very first camera was a BlackBerry. Yes. yes. <laughs> what did you think about that? Oh, I loved it because what we don't often think, we think that we don't have the tools, the money, the resources to tell our stories. And everybody has a phone, <laughs> and everyone's phone has a video feature or a, you know, still, you know, image feature. And now it's just, it just brings everything more accessible. Everyone can say whatever they want, tell whatever, whatever story they want to with their phone. And so for her, you know, I loved it because it was ingenuity. It was uh, accessibility for her. And she found that with her Motorola, not Motorola, with, Blackberry. Her, with her Blackberry, <laughs> Lord, I'm dating myself, with her Blackberry, she was able to have a tool to even try and she continued and you know the thing is is that there's so many apps that's also available that you can you know refine your images you can have photoshop on your on your phone for nominal money if it's just i don't even know if it's if it costs that much it might cost mm -hmm, maybe under ten dollars mm -hmm. and then you can learn how to edit your photos and you know do whatever you, you need to do all on your phone mm -hmm. so anybody can do it so there's no excuse when you have creativity if you have a story you want to tell yeah you have the tools you have the tools but you have to fine-tune with your idea is mm -hmm. so you know everyone has great ideas but you have also got to have a plan behind that idea is the story saying something what is it saying is it a clear you know, start, middle, end? Are you answering a question? You know, you don't have to have all those things, but you have to have some type of foundation that builds a story. Mm -hmm. So who, what, when, where, how? 
journalism chops. <laughs> um, but also, you know, if it's abstract, it doesn't have to be in any type of format, but it has to be a clear story to you for you to able to kind of, you know, make it happen. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you for that advice. Everybody, listen up. If you have a story, you can do it. Um, so your film is doing the film festival circuit now, and you just returned from Atlanta from the Bronze Lens Film Festival. Tell us about that experience. Um, well, it was fantastic. This was the first time that I had been in the Bronze Lens Film Festival as a director, writer. I'm an alum as a producer. So, I mean, that was just great. It was fabulous. Um, the film screened twice. Um, it was nominated for Best Documentary, which I didn't expect at all. Um, a lot of people were really interested in it. And then I had some feedback. So, you know, these are good friends of mine, right? And family. However, <laughs> the feedback was from one of my really great friends who is just, you know, super critical. But he was like, you know, girl, this was the movie that you didn't know that you needed to see at this time. And I was like, really? And a, a, a bunch of people felt that way because, um, you know, I, I'm proud of it because it's, it's they're saying what their story is, you know, but it's, um, but they're very, they're being very open and very vulnerable. And also, you know, it's a, a documentary that you learn something from. Um, I think it might be, you know, I, I don't know for sure. But I feel like it might be the first documentary that is featuring black women photographers, specifically black women photographers. So it's historical in that regard. And then, um, you know, uh, my talent, those amazing, amazing, phenomenal photographers are fun and funny. So they really they enjoyed are. it. They are. One of my favorite ones, I can't think of her name right now, but the, um, the one who did the self-portrait of herself Dana. naked with her oh, no, child. That's, that's, that's Renee Cox. Yeah, with her child in her hand. I was like, wow. Those images blew me away. And she did The Last Supper, and she redid yes. it when she stood in the yes. place of where Jesus was. Yes. I was like, yes. wow. She is fearless. Yeah. And she welcomes all of that. You know, oh, you have something to say? Well, this is what I have to say. She's very stout and, and very clear in her, in her, um, her point of view. And I mean, she's just—I just love her. She's a trip. I love her. She's uh, so that. So the the image that you're speaking of the last summer was controversial here in the states, but in Europe it was, you know, no issue. They could appreciate her, you know, being at the head of the table. Because why not? Right. And I thought it was interesting because she mentioned that when she was in Europe where they showed it was not far from the Vatican, and they didn't have an issue with it. But when she came back to the United States, right. they had an issue. Yeah, it um, opened at the uh, Brooklyn Museum in 2000, oh, I forgot when, 2009 or 10. But what's interesting about that is, you know, the more press, the more you want to see it. Mm -hmm. So it was standing only in that Brooklyn Museum. It was lines out the door. You know, it served Renee well. Mm -hmm. Let it be as controversial as it needs to be because, you know, art hits you in different ways. You interpret it in different Every viewer sees it the way that they'll see it. Um, so, yeah, bring on all of that press, good, bad, or ugly, whatever. Because mm -hmm. I feel like good art, it, it generates an emotional reaction. Absolutely. Whether good, bad, whatever. If you can feel something when you look at the piece, then I think you've done the job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your job as the artist is, is to create it and mm -hmm. birth it. 
and then our jobs, you know, when we are viewers and when we're not artists and we're looking at a piece, it's to be open to see how it, how, what, what emotions it evokes from you, um, how you feel about it, does it change you, does it, does it make you ask questions, you know? I feel like it's really important for us to be able to make sure that we make this amazing art, birth it, but also let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to follow you and keep up to date on what you're doing, where could they? Um, okay, so um, they can follow me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one would be the Sound She Saw film. Mm -hmm. Also the soundshesaw.com. Um, and then Tabasco 4 is me. Um, I also have another project called the, the Medea Project. And you can uh, find me on Instagram with the Medea Project as well as the website, the Medea Project. Wow, awesome, awesome. Well, everyone, that's our time for today. Thank you for tuning in and hearing all about the sound she saw, written, directed, and produced by the amazing Crystal Whaley. And until next week, consider yourself blacklit. Thank you. <laughs>